Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. Today we're going to listen to an interview with Florence Welch of Florence and the Machine, where she talks about some of the music that moves her the most, her favorite books, and some of her rules to live by. We're also going to talk about a new project from Jenny Lewis. But first... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And that was a little bit of Door, the new song from Jenny Lewis's new band called Nice As Fuck. Best band name so far <laughs> of the summer. I'm here with Sarah Grant. What's up, Sarah? Not much. Glad Sarah, you most you wrote the review uh, for the new Nice As Fuck album. Yes. We're just going to keep saying Nice As Fuck over and over again. <laughs> um, so uh, tell me what the story is with this. Sure. So uh, Jenny Lewis debuted Nice As Fuck with... Uh, the likes Tennessee Thomas and Au Revoir Simone's Erica Forster. They actually debuted it at a Bernie Sanders rally. Which is an awesome um, debut. Exactly. Uh, let's see, Au Revoir Simone, they're, they're like an indie rock band from mm-hmm. um, uh, Brooklyn. Yes. And the like have been around for a little while. They're from L.A., I think. Right, right. right. But all in, indie rock kind right. of pseudo-veterans at right. this point. They're a little young to call them veterans, but they've been around. And right. this is a really nice fun, breezy summer album. Uh, it's straightforward melodies. Um, you can really tell Jenny Lewis is having a lot of fun on this That's record. the bottom. Yeah, they just sound like they're having a, a great time on right. this record. She, yeah. Uh, Jenny Lewis's last solo album was Voyager, and she actually told Rolling Stone that that record helps her get through one of the hardest periods of her life. Um, it was produced by Ryan Adams, and, and so that's a wonderful record. It's yeah. a beautiful it's record. It's really personal, yeah. And so you can really tell that this is maybe coming out of that storm a little bit, coming out the other side. Um, she takes some really fun, quirky risks on this album. Uh, there's a song called Home Run, which is sort of like this pseudo-funk cheerleader chant. Yeah, that's like kind of like almost hip-hop, and she's kind of like, yeah, yelling at the mic which is in an awesome way. Right. Yeah, yeah. She has this sort of disco vibe on one of my favorite songs, Angel, on the record. I love that Um, song. Yeah, she, I mean, the more I listened to the record, the more I was picking out different singers or vibes. I felt like she was trying on like different hats. I mean, um, Angel has a little, to me, I hear a little bit of B-52s or even Chrissy Hind. Yeah, maybe a little blond, blondie on yes. some of those tracks too, for That's sure, a, yeah. Exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I guess in general though, this is really... A detour into new wave, if you will. Um, she, her other solo works have been maybe a bit more on the folk spectrum. For sure. Um, and this is just straight ahead, drum and bass, very syncopated, sing-along fair. Um, it's just what, like, yeah, like one of those, like, side 
projects where like you can tell the artists are just kind of like taking a breath and just like, all right, I'm just going to have some fun with some friends. And it definitely comes across. Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully this kind of dictates her next direction too. I mean, the, there are some similarities with Voyager in this record. Um, she tries on a, a bit more of an eighties kind of programmed sound. Um, I mean, program for Jenny Lewis is just kind of anything left of folk. I think. Right. So <laughs> anything without an acoustic guitar. I don't mean to sound that front. she's. Uh, right. Yeah. But, no, she's not turning into like Calvin Harris right. or, or Dead Mouse. <laughs> exactly. But, but this is just a fun record. So right. I mean, do you, do you have any sense of when they're gonna, if they're gonna tour a little more? Or yeah, keep this they're going? on tour this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they announced they should be. They're playing New York. Is sometime in the next two months, I believe, but they're on tour. All right, well, everybody, we're going to keep an eye out for nice as fuck, and thanks for coming on, Sarah. Thank you. All right. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. And that was Ship to Wreck from Florence and the Machine. For the main segment of this episode, we're going to uh, get some of the, the, the life lessons and uh, rules that Florence Welsh, the lead singer of Florence and the Machine, uh, lives by. I'm here with David Brown, who interviewed Florence a few months ago. Hey, David. Hey, Nathan. How are you? All right. So, David, do you want to first explain? One reason we're doing this is that we, we recently ran an interview um, with uh, Noel Gallagher. Uh, actually, it was the last episode that people really loved, and it had some of his life lessons, uh, and it was for the same page that this interview with Florence uh, was for. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is? It's called The Last Word. Yeah, it's, the column's called Last Word. It's in the last page of the magazine. And what's really fun about it is that we talk to people not just about their current projects, whether it's an album or a movie or whatever, but we really try to dig into, uh, you know, where they are in their lives, what things shape them in their lives, their kind of worldview, and try to really, uh, you know, kind of paint a portrait in a way of, of, of where they are and, and what shaped them. Like what books they like and the music that moves them the most and kind of what they do in their free time. And yeah, it, it kind of yeah. gives, it's nice. People kind of go in different directions and, um, yeah, and you never know what you're going to get, what's really fun. We ask similar questions of some people and some questions we shape to particular uh, artists, you know. But uh, but even so, you kind of never know what they're going to say when you ask about a, 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 a childhood favorite book or, or what kind of – what are you doing in your spare time or whatever. Uh, they're, sometimes they're caught a little bit off guard even, and they have to really think right. about it. They don't go for the, the pat answers. Right. Sometimes know? people are kind of locked into their like kind of uh, promo, promo cycle and are kind of expecting to talk about the producer of their new album. And nothing against that. But, uh, but yeah, Florence uh, wa- was absolutely charming, as she usually is. She's kind of, um, I would say, like a, a, a bit of a hippie in the best sense, like a real free open spirit. A like free, free a, spirit. A free spirit in yeah. a way. And I've interviewed her for a couple of times in the magazine. And what's what's always fun about talking to her is that she's really kind of open and candid. You know, yeah. she's really just kind of throws it out there. And 
I, I wouldn't go so far as to say she uses interviews for therapeutic reasons, but I mean, she really, <laughs> she really uh, is, is happy to talk about any number of stuff and what's happening in her life, for example. I hear she talks a lot about Patti Smith in kind of an interesting way and her idols and Grace Slick, who doesn't get talked about a lot and uh, what yeah, she does. Yeah, the, the, the books and music uh, that influenced her uh, as, a, as a kid, as a child and teenager, were not the things you would expect. You know, everything from Little House on the Prairie to White Rabbit. Right. You know, uh, and those aren't necessarily things that come to mind immediately, I think, right. when you think of Florence Welsh. Right. Well, let's get into it. Let's just, how about without any further ado, uh, this is uh, David Brown interviewing Florence Welsh. Who are your heroes and why? I, I read one interview a few years ago where you mentioned Grace Slick. Um, yeah, I mean, Grace, Grace Slick was like, you know, when I first, I think I was sitting in my room like as a teenager and I listened to White Rabbit and hmm. my whole perspective just like exploded, I think. My dad said he came in I was sitting there with headphones on, he just looked at my face, and it was like this light bulb <laughs> had gone on. And what, what, what about that song or her singing? What, what about that moved you so much? It was just kind of like, there was something sort of like, um, it was like psychedelic, but it was soulful and kind of like apocalyptic in a way, and fantastical and like magical but dark as well it like had all these elements of things that I liked and but they were putting them all together you know and I I think I'm really drawn to to things that sort of feel like like overwhelming <laughs> in something that creates an, an overwhelming feeling and I think I think Patti Smith is definitely one of my heroes recently I've been reading M Train and she just writes with such beauty, and also she's like such. There's like so much in there about coffee, and you know, I've yes. been <laughs> for ages. And I think Patty Smith like really got me back so back into it. Um, into into coffee. And yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> she, was, she was like, I can drink. She was like, I can drink 14 cups a day, and uh, still, you know, be fine. And I was, you know, I I personally cannot do that. <laughs> <laughs> She's 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 nailed. You first heard Patty's music, or or you have a favorite uh, song or record of, of hers? Well, it was probably like, you know, I think it came in when I first started uh, going to like art college parties because I grew up in a place that was like um, was a big art college, and before I went to art college, I was like sixteen and crashing all the art college parties. Mm -hmm. I think I heard. Gloria, and uh, yeah, I think that's kind of when she came into my consciousness, mm. and actually, like, it's her writing, I think, I mean, her music first, and then it's her writing that has made me feel very, like, you know, you feel very close to her, because her books, it's just so, she's really, like, she's, she's really given us some really beautiful She's really given us some really beautiful parts of herself, I feel, with these books. And, like, really, she's just captured these periods of time or, like, captured her. I mean, it's just so beautiful, like, that, that M Train kind of is like a memoir to her husband. And mm -hmm. it feels, you feel very honored that she has given, you know, this, this kind of piece of her heart. So I right. think that, from reading these books, I felt very kind of, you know, she... I felt very grateful to her for doing that. You know, it was a really generous thing to do, I think. Um, 
and yeah, and it's like, and it was funny little coincidences. Like we, I was recommended to read this. Um, I was recommended to read a Murakami book, um, uh, the Wind Up Bird Chronicles, which I, I recommended to. You know, I've got a little. We got a little online fan book club. Right, right. Two books. Right. And um, as I was reading M Train, and I'd like was like trying to read two. I was like, I read quite a lot, so I'm reading kind of books all at once. And I was reading M Train and reading this Murakami book, which was like incredible, like so incredible. Like, but and she actually, while I was reading Murakami, she started she started writing about that exact same book in the middle of this oh, wow. of M Train. She has as a passage about yeah. Wind Up Bird Chronicles. So. So it was kind, you know, I really, that was like a little, like, nice little coincidence there. Right. Um, uh, and, yeah, so I think she's been, like, just through her through her writing and her, and also, like, her, 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 um, her beauty, I think, in really, truly being, being herself and being very on, and really honoring herself and kind of, I think that's so to hold yourself like that in in the public in the public eye. I find that so like I think that is you know I find that incredibly inspiring. Mm-hmm. She feels like she's truly herself. Right. Well, that, that, well, it leads to one of our other questions, and maybe it kind of feeds off that in a way. Like, uh, what what are the most important rules that you live by, and is that? Somebody like Patty convey oh. that. Um, I well, I think it's taken me. I think it's. Uh, I think it's the important rules that I live by. And do you know what? I'm still. I think I'm still, like, learning what they are. You know, <laughs> what did I do? I got famous. I felt I was got famous when I was about twenty-one. Mm-hmm. So I, it was very exciting. It was totally thrilling and magical, and also completely terrifying. But I didn't know. I I hadn't. I haven't realized how scared I was until I actually paused what it was like when I was twenty-seven. You know, like six years later, and like, un like had a bit of a like. I had to like. Because you know, as I got more famous, I think my my um, I created a shield, as it were. You know, kind of the hair got redder, my eyebrows bleached, the costumes got bigger. You know, and it's in it. So, in a sense, it was to live in this creation, in this kind of magical alternate universe, and that kept right. me safe. Right. But it was it. You can't. I couldn't like it. That crap eventually so I think it, I really had to like relearn how to be in the public eye in a more like raw way perhaps so I guess it's for me I think it's like when I feel I guess I think it's like the rules I live by is maybe like uh, I'm just trying to learn how to be less af- less afraid to be like just to be if you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and to live like 
in the moment and to be um, to try and not to to allow myself perhaps to be vulnerable in ways that I mm. hadn't before. And it's kind of and I feel like I hit 27 and I did like a lot of changes happened and I did a lot of growing up, but it's a process. I'm figuring out, I think right now is quite a crucial period. I think when you get to about 30, I'm trying to figure out the person I want to be moving forward with the rest of my life. Um, and I'm kind of, I'm working that out <laughs> at the moment. Is, is there a recent example that comes to mind of being more vulnerable? And um, does it have to do with the, with the costumes and things also that you mentioned earlier? I think. I think so, yeah. And just like, you know, this last record was quite open and quite exposing and that felt really un felt really uncomfortable because I think lyrically I'd always perhaps worked with things like taking a specific event and and turning it into something different, you know. Mm-hmm. Allowing um metaphor as a protection and I think with this record perhaps things are a bit more literal and like a bit more face value and that was very uncomfortable for me when it came to release it and actually it was very it was I'm glad I did you know and now I'm learning that perhaps if something feels different or uncomfortable it means maybe you're growing it sounds like such like hippie stuff but it's kind of (laughs) um and Maybe, you know, if creatively something feels, like, a bit exposing, you know, maybe it's a good thing. Um, because you're, you know, you're challenging yourself, you're doing something a bit differently. Um, but, yeah, I think I had to allow myself to be vulnerable, even in this, even in the way of, like, not having less effects on the vocals. It was terrifying to me. Not having, I'm sorry, not having a what? You know, not having less effects on the vocals was kind oh, of like okay. quite frightening oh. to me. Um, because I used to love reverb and right. everything would just be swamping reverb and loads of choral stuff. Um, right. And But yeah, I think that is kind of... I, it was... Me and Marcus Drabs, who produced a record, we would have kind of like arguments about reverb and I would be like, please, can you just put some yeah. reverb on the song? like nearly crying and you're like no it's good the way it is you have to be vulnerable you have to just let your voice be the way it is and I think again like that's about just trying not to trying not to to hide you know or to trying not you know just to be exposed and, and vulnerable um, uh, and I think that's kind of it's been really good, though. It's been, you know, with the videos and everything, it's been about... I'm figuring out, I think, right now is quite a crucial period. I think when you get to about 30, I'm trying to figure out the person I want to be moving forward with the rest of my life. Um, and I'm kind of... I'm working that out <laughs> at the is, moment. Is, is there a recent example that comes to mind of being more vulnerable? And um, does it have to do with the, with the costumes and things also that you mentioned earlier? I think I think so, yeah. And just like, you know, this last record was quite open and quite exposing and that felt really un- felt really uncomfortable because I think lyrically I'd always perhaps worked with things like taking a specific event and and turning it into something different, you know. Mm-hmm. Allowing um metaphor as a protection. And I think with this record perhaps things are a bit more literal and like a bit more face value and that right. was very uncomfortable for me when it came to release it. 
And actually, it was very, it was, I'm glad I did, you know. And now I'm learning that perhaps if something feels different or uncomfortable, it means maybe you're growing. It sounds like such, like, right. hippie stuff, but it's kind of, a, <laughs> um, and maybe, you know, if creatively something feels like, a bit exposing you know maybe it's a good thing um because you're you know you're challenging yourself you're doing something a bit differently um but yeah I think I had to allow myself to be vulnerable even in this even in a way of like not having less effects on the vocals was terrifying to me not having I'm sorry not having a what you know not having less effects on the vocals was kind of quite frightening to me um, because I used to love reverb and right. everything would just be swamped in reverb and loads of choral stuff. Um, right. and, but yeah, I think that is kind of, I, it was me and Marcus Drabs who produced a record. We would have kind of like arguments about reverb and I would be like, please, can you just put some reverb on the song? Like nearly crying. And he was like, no. Good the way it is. You have to be vulnerable. You have to just let your voice be the way it is. And I think, again, like that's about just trying not to, trying not to, to hide, you know, or to trying not, you know, just to be exposed and, and vulnerable. Um, uh, and I think that's kind of, it's been really good though. It's been, you know, with the videos and everything, it's been about you have to try and stay in the moment and be like, I don't want to just like grumble through this and then realize actually those are the best years of my life and all I did was complain about my But it really is, it's like, because it's so much exciting stuff is happening and it's like you have to pay attention to it. You know, you have right, to. Right, 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 right. And, um, do, you, do you have to deal with paparazzi and stuff like that, especially with your, your hair and your image? And is that like a, is that like a problem with you at all? Um, do you know what? It kind of like, it is something, it's like, because I'm actually like quite, I'm quite shy and like quite, for someone quite like, you know, it's funny that like, in the more kind of, and it, but I don't get it that badly. It really, like, I pretty much just get left alone. Especially, like, in London, not really at all. Like, if I go and stay somewhere in New York, like, where everyone stays, like, there'll probably be paparazzi hanging around anyway. And, you know, it's, but it's not actually, like, a very, it's not actually, like, a, a very big part of my life, especially maybe as I've got older and, like, a bit more boring. <laughs> um... <laughs> It's something that makes me anxious, definitely, but it's not, um, I've got quite, when I'm at home and I'm just like working, I've got quite a quiet existence and I've got like the same friends, you know, since I've had since school and it's like quite, I've got quite a, you know, I've got quite a like, yeah, like a pretty mellow Right. Uh, existence like right. if I'm just like at home in in London just I'm kind of just like hanging out reading seeing friends right. so there's not really that much to photograph <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's what's the best advice you ever got it would probably be <laughs> I mean it's like being quite honest but it would probably be why don't you try not drinking for a while <laughs> 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 see what happens <laughs> 
Uh, here's a question we always ask people, and it's sort of a geographical kind of question in a way. Um, you're from London, or a particular part of it. What's the most British or most London thing about you? Oh, um, <laughs> maybe it's like, uh, probably find it quite hard to accept a compliment. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> or like quite, quite, uh, can be, what's the most British thing? I think I'm definitely growing into my Britishness as well. I'm definitely becoming more, more and more like British, um, which probably is like, uh, yeah, a lot of. <laughs> a lot of sarcasm or I don't know I think I get this from my dad as well though which is like almost I don't know if this is a British thing or maybe just a, I think it's a Welsh family thing where we can't we find, I find it very hard to say something like that's maybe quite quite um saying something that's like uh saying something that's like intimate without following followed by a joke Okay. <laughs> it's like always have to like somehow like when you feel vulnerable, like quickly make it sarcastic, you know, pull it back. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's a specifically British thing or if it's uh, right. <laughs> like a Welsh family thing. I know <laughs> me and my sister both do it. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of, I think, uh, yeah, I think it, it's it's funny because I think um, I I've definitely yeah I feel I mean I do, I sort of love I love I love walking as well I love being able to walk around the city um, and ride my riding my bike around London is one of my favorite things to do. Your favorite book as a kid. And what do you think it says about you? What do you think? You know, I was like really, uh, uh, I was like really, really into like Little House on the Prairie. And for Christmas, my aunt gave us these like sort of cotton smock prairie dresses. And oh, wow. And dressed me and my little sister up. And we would make the prairie in our house. I would make like a, like a lake out of towels. And then we would have to like uh, go and kind of, you know, like go into the fields and but I mean I loved um this was when I was a bit older I, I remember really loving the Philip Pullman books I loved Anne of Green Gables oh, wow. um Little House on the Prairie Pippi Longstocking okay uh was was a big favorite uh, what uh, what music still moves you the most what are your what are your go-to if you want to just uh Throw on a favorite album or two that's an old favorite, you know, or, or artist. Ah, okay. What do I listen to? Um, we're, we're, we're pushing into the deep recesses of your memory banks here. <laughs> but you're doing uh, doing great, though. <laughs> I, I know. I think, like, I was like, I'm like, oh. So, um, it's, uh, it's... Well, I say what early stuff. I mean, my dad used to play me. Um, my dad used to play me uh, the Velvet Underground a lot. Like, cause my dad like, always had like great, great taste, and so I kind of grew up on a on a diet of like the Velvet Underground, and he played me the Smiths a lot, I think, and um, mm. the Stones. Um, I think he was kind of 
he was really like excited when I got to sing Gimme Shelter with Mick Jagger because he was like, you know, I always thought that was the song that you were supposed to sing. And so it kind of was really amazing when it finally happened. Um, but yeah, I think what, but, um, and it, and then I kind of, and then when I first started, I started listening to a lot of like soul from quite young. I started, I was really obsessed with Billie Holiday and Etta James and Nina Simone. Was really like they were, they were the first voices I remember being really really drawn to. What advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, it's so hard because I just don't think. I don't think, uh, I, 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 it's like, it's hard because you kind of have to live it and you have to live through it. And it's right. almost like people can tell you stuff to do in this industry and they can tell you the way you should do it. But it really is such a personal thing. And it's like, you have to stumble, you have to make your own mistakes so that you learn who you are and you get, you know, you, you kind of have to do that. And you will, people can tell you what to do, but you're only just you're just going to do it anyway. You know, people can tell you not to do something and you'll eventually just do it and you have to learn from that. Right. And I think, um, uh, what was my advice to my... Is there an example that comes to mind of something that you just have to do and live through it and deal with the consequences? Yeah, I mean, I think just like, well, I would be, I mean, there would probably be like certain, like, <laughs> there would probably be like certain. I would. Pro there would probably be like certain like sartorial choices. <laughs> 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 like probably. <laughs> <laughs> like like not help do in hindsight, but you know you're so young and you're in the public eye and you're just like exploring. Right. How about the most self uh, most indulgent purchase you've ever made? I bought myself a bracelet for my birthday that was like a tortoise that had diamonds in it. So that's literally like a diamond tortoise. <laughs> it feels like very indulgent. Um, was that a recent a recent birthday? It was like a tortoise and it had little diamond eye. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that was my the diamond tortoise. Very <laughs> <laughs> extravagant. Any idea how much that cost? Uh, well, I know how much it costs, but <laughs> I'm going to say. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Let me throw one more question at you before we have to go. Your favorite city in the world? Hmm. I don't know. I think it's, like, split between, like, I have, like, little... Hub. I have little... I, I don't know. I feel like because I'm so transient, it's hard. I have little... And my heart is in lots of different cities all at once, you know, because I've had, I've got friends now, like, in in LA, in LA, in New York, in London, you know, and, and, and yeah, I, like, really love Rome so much, like, sort of romance, and, you know, I'm also being, like, kind of obsessed with, like, uh, you know, the, rena like, Renaissance art and the culture there. It's, like, really, I mean, I spent a lot of time in Florence, with my mum when I was a child because she's a professor of Renaissance history, so I'm really drawn to kind of like Italian cities and architecture. But so I don't know. It's yeah. like, it's well, 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 Rome. Take. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure it's, you've been to so many places. Well, for, as far as as far as Rome, I mean, uh, is the Vatican? I mean, if you other sites like that too that that draw you to, or all the fountains, all the fountains all over the place. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. that place is like, it's like every corner is like some arc, some piece of like architectural beauty, you know, it's like really, you're sort of really, you, it's, it's such, such a wonderful place to like walk around in. I just, I love places that you can feel like the history, you know, you feel it to walk around, to walk around a city that still has ruins in it, then, you know, it's kind of really appealing to me. Right, right, right. Cool. And that was the wit and wisdom of Florence Welch, of Florence and the Machine. That's it for Rolling Stone Music Now today. If you like what you heard, come check us out on iTunes and maybe leave a review. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.